Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is the 30th of August, <coughs> 2013, and we are on our last day of the retreat on the art of suffering. The Buddha taught us how to suffer, how to create joy and happiness. The Buddha also teaches us, teaches us how to love. To love uh, is not to consume, but to offer. To offer uh, joy, happiness, to help uh, suffer less, to help transform the suffering. And that uh, is uh, what we have to, to learn, to cultivate. The first uh, element of true love is Maitri. Maitri um, has to do with uh, Mitra. Mitra means friend. Love means friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood. And Maitri means um, the capacity to offer well-being, happiness. If our love is true love, we should be able to offer happiness. If we cannot make uh, him or her happy, that's not love, that's not true love. But before, before we can make him or her happy, we have to make ourselves happy. If you cannot afford uh, joy and, uh, and happiness to you, you cannot afford, uh, you cannot offer happiness to the other person. It's so simple, so clear. And we know that uh, with the practice of the fifth exercise of breathing, the sixth exercise of mindful breathing, we can, we can bring our mind home to our body and we can recognize um, that we have many conditions of happiness. And that is, uh, that help us to, to, to be happy right away. So the art of uh, being happy in the present moment is what we should uh, cultivate. Uh, to offer ourselves well-being, happiness, and then you can offer well-being and happiness to the other person. That is called maitri. Uh, the English word is uh, loving kindness. Maitri comes from Mitra. Mitra means friend. So it means friendship. You are a friend to yourself. You are a true friend to yourself. And you are a true friend to her, to him. And so Mitra, Maitri can be said to be true friendship. 
and usually Maitri, friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood last longer than romantic love. Romantic love can be short-lived, but uh, Maitri, uh, loving kindness can last very long and continue to grow. And that is the first element of true love taught by the Buddha. So, uh, the willingness to offer happiness is not enough. You want to make him or her happy, but if you don't know how, the more you try to love, the more you make him or her suffer. So the willingness to offer happiness is not, uh, is not yet my dream. Understanding is very needed because you have to understand his or her own suffering. Uh, in order to be able to offer the right thing that make him or her happy. A father always makes his son happy, but because the father does not understand the son, he uh, imposes on his son a lot of things. So the more he loves, the more he makes his uh, son suffer. So understanding is the key. There is, uh, in Vietnam, there is a fruit that many people love, that is durian. Uh, expensive. But uh, for myself, I don't like it. And if you, you, you say that, hey, poor thầy works so hard, I should offer him some durian. And you force me to eat, I will suffer a lot. <laughs> Because you don't understand me, you don't understand my, my real need. So to love someone, you have to understand his or her real need and not impose on him or her what we think to be needed for him or her. Father and son, mother and daughter and son. Understanding is the foundation of love. And before you understand another person, you have to understand yourself. Understanding yourself helps you to offer you love. And that is Maitri. Maitri is the capacity to offer happiness, not just the willingness, the desire to offer happiness. And the second uh, element of true love is uh, Karuna. It's uh, translated uh, in English as uh, compassion. We may find a better word to translate. This is a compassion means uh, you suffer with him or with her. You share uh, uh, her hardship, suffering. But karuna means more positively. Karuna means you are capable of removing the pain, transforming the pain in him or in her. It's not a willingness alone, but the capacity 
to help uh, remove the pain or transform the pain in, in the person that you love. And uh, you have to do it for yourself first. You have to understand your suffering. You, have been, you should be able to handle the pain, the suffering in you before you can do it for him or for her. It's very clear. So com- compassion should have that kind of uh, meaning. You can use the word compassion. We have to understand compassion as having that kind of meaning, the capacity to transform the suffering in him or in her, in yourself. And if uh, we cannot help it, a person to suffer less, our love is not to love. Because true love has the power to change, to heal, to make a person suffer less. And if you can do it for yourself, surely you can do it for her, for him. <coughs> and the third element of true love is mudita. Uh, It means joy. If uh, you keep making the other person cry every day, that's not true love. (laughs) And if you keep crying yourself because of the relationship, that's not true love. True love has the capacity to offer you joy and the other person joy. So joy is the mark of true love, a mark of true love. If there isn't no joy, that's not, that's not true love. So joy is uh, creating joy for yourself and for the other person is an art. And the fourth uh, element of, uh, of true love is upeksha. Upeksha is uh, translated as equanimity. But in Plum Lege, you like to translate uh, as uh, non-discrimination or inclusiveness. In true love, there is no more frontier between you, the lover, and him, the loved one, the beloved. Her suffering should be your suffering. His happiness should be your happiness. In true love, there is no longer any individual happiness, any individual suffering. No discrimination. And if you say, darling, that's your problem, that's not true love. (laughs) Because your problem is my problem. 
And uh, a good example is our two hands. They have to love. Because they do not discriminate. When one hand suffers, it's wounded, the other, the other hand comes and helps. And the other hand does not say, Look, left hand, I am helping you. You have to remember that. And uh, also there is no uh, complex, no complex of superiority, no complex of uh, inferiority, no complex of equality. Even equality is a complex. Because inequality, you think of you as a self, and you compare yourself with the self of the other, and you see that the two selves are equal. But to love, there is no self. You are one, not two to compare. So my right hand uh, can do calligraphy, can write uh, hundreds of poems, but she is not proud of herself. She never say, left hand, you, does not seem to, you do not seem to do anything at all. <laughs> all poems of Thai, it's me who write down. So my right hand is free from the superiority complex. And my left hand does not suffer at all from the inferiority complex. So there is the wisdom of non-discrimination in my two hands. And that is why harmony is always possible between the two hands. So that is an image of true love that we can, uh, we can see. And the teaching of the Buddha is that these four elements of true love, they continue to grow. That is why, why uh, the four Brahma Vihara, the four elements of true love, are called uh, unlimited mind. L'amour sans frontières, love without boundaries. It continues to grow and grow every day. It never stops growing. The moment when your love stops growing, it begins to die. It's like a tree. Love is organic. Love is a living thing. And if it stops growing, it means it begins to die. So we have to learn to feed our love so that she can continue to grow. And that is the love of the Buddha the love of great beings, and we can learn from them. In the beginning, you begin with yourself. And with yourself, you know how to practice true love, and then with the second person, you include him or her in that kind of love. And if your love continues like that, you include the third person, the fourth person, and you include all of us in your love. Your love is without boundaries. If it is true love, it will soon embrace more and more and will not exclude anyone. There is no discrimination about uh, uh, race, uh, 
uh, skin color, nationality, religion, and so on. True love does not have any discrimination. That is fourth element. And uh, in the five mindfulness trainings, there is a training on cultivating true love. And we have to understand the teaching of the Buddha on true love. So it's, it's good that uh, we sit down as a couple and we look deeply to see whether the, these four elements are present in our, in our relationship, in our love. And uh, what kind of practice that help us to, to make these elements of true love grow in our relationship and happiness will be increased every moment by the practice of true love. The other day we have learned uh, uh, nine exercises of mindful breathing. I think we have to continue. Uh, we know that the first uh, exercise of mindful breathing is to be aware of our in-breath and out-breath. To identify our in-breath and out-breath. The second is uh, to follow all the way through our in-breath and out-breath. The third is to be aware of our body. And the fourth is uh, to calm our body to release the tension. That is true love directed to our body. We know how to take care of our body. We know how to make it lighter and uh, more healthy. The fifth, with the fifth, we come to the realm of uh, feelings. We breathe and we become aware of our, uh, of our feeling. We know how to generate a feeling of joy. This is, uh, this is uh, the art of happiness. And then the sixth is how to generate uh, a feeling of uh, happiness. And that is true love. Is uh, true love can generate joy and happiness for self and for others. And then when we come to the seventh, that is still true love, because uh, the seventh is to know how to handle the pain in ourselves. That is uh, karuna, compassion. We have to be compassionate toward ourselves first. So the seventh exercise is to recognize, to be aware of the pain that is coming up in us. And the eighth is to breathe and embrace in such a way that we can calm down uh, the pain. 
the nine exercise on mindful breathing. is to recognize every mental formation and any mental formation that arises. We have the list of mental formations. When I was in office, I had to memorize the names of all mental formations so that when one come up, I have to, to, to call it by its true name. Hello, in uh, mental information, your name is Jealousy. I know you are there. I will take good care of you. So a simple recognition of the mental formation and uh, you look deeply into it to see whether uh, it has come from a wrong perception also. So the nine is to recognize every mental formation. Mindfulness helps us to see the mental information more clearly. And uh, the mental formation will not uh, pull us or push us to do the things that will be uh, destructive in our relationship. And the tenth, tenth exercise of mindful breathing is to make the landscape of the mind beautiful, creating joy and happiness. And we have already learned that uh, in Buddhism, consciousness uh, has at least uh, two layers the lower layer is a store consciousness. And uh, the upper layer is a mind consciousness. Nowadays, people in the neuroscience uh, circle, they like to call store consciousness background consciousness, consciousness. When you drive your car, you drive with your store consciousness more than mind consciousness. Your mind consciousness continues to think of this or that, but you are able to drive your car anyway because you have learned how to drive your car. <clears throat> and when we learn mindfulness, we want to drive our car not only with store consciousness but also with mind consciousness. It's safer. So the, the, we learned that there are many seeds. All the mental formations have their seeds here. Chúng tử, Bija. And this kind of consciousness is called uh, the consciousness of uh, all the seeds. Sattva Bijaka, it means the, the consciousness that contains all kinds of seeds. So the tenth practice, the tenth exercise, is to select the good one and invite them up 
and make this landscape of the mind beautiful so that you can be happy. And you refrain from inviting the negative one, like anger, fear, jealousy. So that is exactly the practice of uh, the 10th exercise, reddening the mind. Redden the mind. In Plum Village, we describe this uh, practice as uh, the practice of uh, uh, selective watering. You have a good seeds, you only water the good seeds. You refrain from watering the seeds that are not good. So if you are a true lover, you know how to practice selective watering. You do not water the seed of anger, fear, violence, craving, anger. When you consume television or magazines or electronic games or internet or conversation, you may water the seed of anger, fear, despair in you. So you refrain from watering these, um, these seeds. Instead, you listen to a Dhamma talk, you uh, watch the kind of film that uh, make you more understanding and compassionate, and you water the good seeds in you. That is called uh, uh, selective watering. And this is uh, what we call uh, true diligence. True diligence is one of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path. You have right view, right mindfulness, right, um, uh, right concentration, right mindfulness, and right diligence. And we have learned that right view gives rise to right thinking. Also give rise to right speech. Also give rise to right action, bodily action, and give rise to uh, right livelihood. And this is a true diligence. True diligence is the practice of uh, selective watering. It has four aspects. The first of as- aspect of uh, true diligence is not to allow the negative situations to manifest up there. The seed of anger, fear, jealousy, despair should not be watered by yourself and by your beloved one. Darling, if you really care for me, don't water the seed of anger, fear, jealousy in me. I promise not to water 
them in you and I promise not to water them in me. So the two persons have to sit down. Two persons have to sit down and sign a peace treaty, a happiness treaty. The first item, the, the, the first uh, is uh, not to water the negative seed in self and in the other. Darling, you know that I have uh, the seed of anger and jealousy in me. Every time you say something or you do something that water that seed in me, I suffer. And if I suffer, you cannot be happy. So please do not water the seed of anger, jealousy in me, and I promise to do the same to me and to you. That is the first aspect of the practice. We have to agree with each other in a relationship. I think between father and son, uh, mother and daughter, we can sign also a peace, happiness treaty like that. And the second aspect is that if it happens that one of them has already manifested up there, you have to do something in order to help her to go back to the original place. And there are many ways to do it. And we have learned already uh, the first way. When a seed of anger comes up as a mental formation, you invite the seed of mindfulness to come up in order to help recognize anger, embrace her tenderly, and give her a mindfulness bath. If you, if you can calm it down, that is the eighth exercise. And it will lose some of strength. And finally, she will go back to her original place. Because you know how to handle a, manifest, a, a mental formation. The second way can be equally um, easy. It means that when a, a mental formation called ang uh, anger come up, you might invite the mental formation that has the opposite nature to come up because you have a seat of compassion in you. You have the seat of understanding of suffering and compassion in you. And mindfulness helps you to invite, invite that seat up here. And when understanding and compassion come up here, this will naturally go back without you pushing, pushing it. It's very nice, it's like uh, changing the CD. <laughs> when the music does not please you, why do, why do you leave, leave it like that? Change the CD. <laughs> Change the mental formation. That are the, 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 the methods prescribed by the Buddha in order to, to, to gladden the mind, to make the landscape of the mind beautiful. You know how to do it for yourself, and you know how to help her to do it, your beloved one. 
This is an art of happiness. So the first is not to allow the negative uh, seeds to have a chance. The second is that if they happen to come up, we have to know how to handle them and help them to go back. If we allow them to be staying here too long, they will grow bigger down there. And the third uh, aspect of the practice of true religions is that uh, we should give the good seeds many chances a day to come up. That is the art of uh, selective watering. You have the seed of compassion, of joy, of love, many good seeds. And uh, when you listen to a Dhamma talk, many good seeds in you are water and they come up and make you happy. So you can do it for yourself. And you can do it for him or for her. Watering the good seeds. Give them a lot of chance to come up to make the landscape of the mind beautiful. Like when you have a friend visiting. Uh, you have a lot of joy in your house. Darling, I know you have uh, good seeds in you and I vow to practice watering these seeds every day. And I have also good seeds in me and if you water these seeds in me, I will be happy. And the fourth, uh, the fourth element of practice is uh, when the good seeds are up here, and the landscape of the mind is beautiful, happiness is there. Try to keep it as long as possible up there. It's like when you have a loving friend in your house, keep her, keep him stay with you as long as possible. <laughs> if there is rain, and then it's good, because with the rain she cannot go home, she can stay <laughs> longer with you. And this is the art of uh, happiness. This is uh, true religions. It's a very pleasant thing to, to, to do. And some uh, of us are translated as great effort. I think uh, diligence is much better. You, have, you, don't have to, you don't have to strive to fight in order to, to be happy. It's uh, very pleasant to to practice, uh, the practice of uh, selective watering. And it works very quickly. That day I gave uh, a talk on selective watering in the lower hamlet of Plumlesh, and I saw a lady crying from the beginning of the talk to the end. She had come from Bordeaux, one hour drive from 
from village. So after the talk, I went to him, her husband, and said, it seems that uh, your flower needs some watering. Flower watering is our practice. And uh, after, he understood right away. He understood, he, he knew the teaching, but he did not practice. We need a friend or a teacher to remind us to practice because we know the teaching, we know the practice, but we do not practice. That is why we need to have a Sangha. So uh, after lunch, they drove home, and while driving, he practiced watering. He recognized the good things in her. And when they arrived in Bogdo, she was completely different. She was blooming as a flower. And the children were very surprised because uh, in the morning when they started, it's not like that. <laughs> so, selective watering is a practice that can bring result very quickly. Please try and you see. There is uh, the, the fourth mindfulness training related to, to the practice of uh, loving speech. Because uh, loving speech always goes with uh, compassionate listening. And the practice of uh, loving speech and deep listening always can always uh, restore communication and bring about reconciliation. That is what we have noticed. Because uh, in our retreats of mindfulness organized in Europe, Asia, and North America, the miracle of reconciliation always happens. During the first few days of the retreat, we practice breathing and walking to calm down. And then we begin to recognize the pain, the suffering in us, and learn to see and recognize the suffering and the pain in the other person. And we begin to understand why that person has reacted, has done in the past like that has said something, uh, done something to make us suffer. So we come to understand the suffering in the other person. And that is why to practice uh, loving speech with him or her becomes easy. So on the fifth day of the retreat, uh, uh, practitioners are advised to apply the teaching in order to reconcile with the other person. We usually say, dear friends, you have up to midnight tonight to do it. If the other person is in the retreat, that's easy, because uh, that person has been exposed to the teaching, has transformed. But if the other person is at home, you, you are authorized to use your telephone and to practice. 
and many people have used their telephone and the consign of the people at home. In Macau, in Hong Kong, in Germany, in France, in the United Kingdom, the same thing happens always. In that uh, retreat, northern Germany, Oldenburg, the, 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 the morning, the, the next morning, four uh, gentlemen came to me and reported that uh, last night they had used telephone and practice and they were able to reconcile with their father. One person said, Dear Thay, in the beginning I did not believe I can talk to him like that, to my father like that. I was so angry at them. That I, at him, that I vowed that I will never see him again. But last night, when I composed a number and I hear his voice, suddenly I found myself capable of using love and speech. Daddy, I know that you have suffered a lot during the last many years. I could not help you to suffer less. Instead, I have reacted in such a way that make you suffer more. I'm sorry. It's not, Daddy, it's not my intention to make you suffer. It's just because I did not see your suffering. I did not understand your suffering and your difficulties. That is why I have reacted like, like that. I'm sorry. You have to help me, Daddy. You have to tell me what is in your heart, your difficulties, your suffering. I know that if I understand your difficulties, your suffering, I will not react like that. Please help me. If you don't help me, who will help me? Please. And I was able to tell him like that, like you have had suggested in the Dharma talk. And my, my father, when he heard that, he began to cry like a baby. He opened his heart. And I listened to him. And we were able to restore communication and reconcile. Dear Thay, you know something? The next thing I will do after the retreat is to go and see him. We know that um, the practice of deep listening, loving, uh, compassionate listening, is very healing. And we can train ourselves for three days, five days, and we'll be able to do that. We can play the role of the Bodhisattva, of deep listening, Kuan Yin, Avalokita. And uh, when the other person begins to tell you, there may be some uh, bitterness, some uh, wrong perceptions, some accusations and blames, and that may touch off the irritation, anger in you. And if you allow the seed of anger 
and uh, irritation to be water, you lose your capacity of listening. And that's why wise listening, you have to practice uh, uh, mindfulness of compassion. You have to breathe in and out and remember just one thing. I'm listening to him, to her, with only one purpose, to help him or her to suffer less, to maintain that kind of awareness alive, and you are protected by the energy of compassion. And what the other person say will not touch off the irritation and the anger in you anymore. And when he says something wrong, uh, you will not interrupt him or her. You tell yourself, he's a victim of wrong perceptions, but I'm not going to interrupt him now. I don't want to transform this session into a debate that will ruin everything. A few days later, I may offer him or her some information for, for him to correct his perception, but not now. And with that kind of awareness, you will remain compassionate. And your power, your, the, the, the quality of your uh, listening is good. And you can make him or her suffer less just by just after one hour or so. You can become, you can be the Bodhisattva of deep listening. If you have the time, some time to look and recognize the difficulties, the suffering in him or in her, then compassion will arise in your heart and you will be able to speak with kindness with uh, compassion and love and speech always open the heart of the other person. And then you can, after that, you can sit and breathe and listen with compassion. You know that uh, in Plum Village, um, Many years ago, we used to invite groups of Palestinians and Israelis to come and practice with us. And both groups have a lot of anger, fear, and suspicion. So when they first arrive, they cannot look at each other. They suffer when they look at each other. Every group is filled with suspicion, anger, and fear. So during the first week, uh, we initiated them to the practice of uh, calming body and mind, getting in touch with the wonders of life. And uh, after that, uh, they will look into their uh, suffering and try to understand their own suffering. And only the, the week after, uh, they can begin the practice of uh, listening and loving speech. You have the right to tell the other group all kind of suffering that you have undergone. But try not to accuse 
not to blame. Because uh, if you accuse, if you blame, they will not be able to listen to you. So help them by using the kind of uh, loving speech. Dear friends, we have suffered like this. Our children have died like this, have suffered like this. We adults have lost our house, our home uh, like this. We wish you understand the suffering that we have undergone uh, on our side. And the other side practice just listening and do not uh, interrupt. And what happens is that uh, when you listen like that, you recognize for the first time that on the other side, they have suffered exactly like on your side. Their children, their adults have suffered very much the same kind of thing. And for the first time in your life, you can see them as human beings. And suddenly there is a compassion in your eyes. You don't see them as enemies anymore. You see them as uh, victims of violence, misunderstanding, war, like you are. And when you look at them like that, you don't suffer anymore. You don't want to punish anymore. You feel much better when there is compassion in your heart. And when you can look at them like that. And they feel wonderful when they see you looking at them like that. The first day when they, when they arrive, they look at you very differently, full of suspicion and anger and fear. But now they are looking with tender eyes, with compassion, understanding. So the process of healing begins with the practice of deep listening and loving speech. And, and they take turn to listen to each other. And we who are not uh, Israelis and Palestinians, we came by dozens and sit with them and listen with them and walk with them to support them. And finally, they, sh- they begin to sit together to have tea together, to share a meal together, to hold hands and walk together. And finally they came up as one group and reported the whole Sangha of the progress they had made. And they always promised that when they go back to the Middle East, they will organize that kind of practice so that other people can come and practice and suffer less. So if the situation is difficult, do not let, uh, let it uh, drag like that month after month. You, you can end it. You can transform the situation by using the practice of uh, compassionate listening and loving speech. And the miracle of uh, reconciliation can happen. You can do it. Many people have done it, and many of them are not Buddhist. You don't need to be a Buddhist in order to do it.
We have six more to go. <laughs> the elephant exercise of mindful breathing is to is to concentrate our mind on the mental formation, whether it is fear, anger, or despair, or anything. That is uh, concentrate the mind. And mindfulness and concentration lead to the liberation of the mind, transformation and liberation. That is the 12th exercise of mindful breathing, liberating the mental formation. We know that uh, with the 7th and the 8th, we can calm down the pain and get a relief. We can survive. But with uh, this exercise, you can go further. You can even transform them into something more positive. And that is the power of concentration that leads to your liberation, emancipation. And there is another set of four. And that begins with uh, 13. And this is the practice of a kind of a concentration called impermanence. Contemplating impermanence, I breathe in. Contemplating impermanence, I breathe out. The insight of impermanence helps us to dissolve anger and craving. Suppose you are having difficulty with your partner. She just made you unhappy. She just said something that made you unhappy. And you want to say something back to punish her. And uh, in that situation, you may try the concentration on impermanence. Close your eyes, breathe in, and visualize you and her 300 years from now. What will happen, what will happen in 300 years? And you see that you are impermanent, and she is impermanent, and it's so unwise to make each other suffer like this, not intelligent at all. And that kind of uh, contemplation may, may last three or four or five seconds. And touching your own nature of impermanence and the nature of impermanence of the other person, your anger vanish. And when you open your eyes, the only thing you want to do is to hold her in your arms. Breathing in, I know that she is still there. 
I'm still there. Right now, I enjoy his, her presence, his presence. So impermanence is not a negative uh, note of music. It's very positive. Thanks to impermanence, everything is possible. If things are not impermanent, and then the grain of corn can never become a, a plant of corn, and you don't have corn to eat. If things are permanent, and then you cannot heal, your sickness. So impermanence is not something negative. It makes life possible. It makes hope possible. If things are impermanent and poverty must always be there, you cannot change poverty. The fourth thing is uh, contemplating uh, non-craving. Because you crave for, for power, for fame, for sensual pleasure, for wealth, and you run after these objects of your, uh, of, of your craving, and you may destroy your body and your mind just by running after the objects of your craving. When the fishermen throw the line on the river, and the fish saw, see a very uh, attractive uh, bait, and the fish want to <laughs> bite, but if uh, the fish bite, and then this, she does not know there is a cook, and she will be hooked up and die. So there is the danger in the object of your craving. If you see the, the, the hook inside, and then you will not bite, and you begin safe. Many people destroy their body and their mind just uh, because of their craving. You can have happiness without craving. Craving can prevent happiness to be. The 15 is uh, the contemplating uh, the nature of no birth and no death. It's a nirvana, niroda. Because uh, practicing the seven, the eight, you can have a relief, get a relief. You can suffer less. But the greatest relief, you get it only when you touch the nature of no birth and no death. Only by touching your nature of no birth and no death, you can remove the fear in you, fear of being fear of non-being. And the 16th exercise is practicing letting go. Letting go of your notions, 
of your concepts, including the notion of coming, going, same, different, birth, death, being, and non-being. That day the Buddha has uh, described right view as the kind of insight that is free from the notion of being and non-being. And contemplating interbeing helps us to remove the notion of being and non-being. The notion of being and non-being cannot be ascribed to reality. Reality, the ultimate reality, is free from the notion of being and non-being. So craving for being is an illusion, and craving for non-being is also an illusion. Someone who commits suicide, she aspires to non-being. But that's not possible. She cannot die like a cloud. A cloud cannot die. And that is why uh, we have to be free from both notions, being and non-being. And the, and the teaching of the Buddha is very clear. This is because that is. To be is not possible. To interbe is possible. <laughs> and therefore, to be or not to be, that's not the question. <laughs> It is uh, the practice, with the practice of concentration that we can break through to the reality and get the insight of interbeing, the insight of uh, called uh, right view, and become free. And there is uh, a practice of concentration that is uh, available in all schools of Buddhism called the Three Doors of Liberation. the three doors of liberation. These are four concentrations, but uh, here is not a set of concentration. And the first uh, concentration is the concentration on, uh, on uh, emptiness. Shunya, shunyata. Teaching on emptiness is there, but in Theravada Buddhism, it has not been explored um, largely than in the Mahayana schools of Buddhism. Emptiness does not mean nothingness. When you look at this flower, you see that the flower is uh, full of everything. The sunshine, the cloud, the soil, time and space, the gardener, 
everything, including your own consciousness. So we practically see that the flower is full of the cosmos, like the piece of bread that you are holding on your hand, ready for you to eat. Why? Why should we describe it as uh, empty? The Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva Avalokita, while uh, looking deeply into two, the five skandhas, find them equally empty. Empty of what? Mr. Bodhisattva tell us. We see that everything is full of the cosmos, and you say that they are empty. And he will tell you, you are right. The flower is full of the cosmos. The flower is only empty of one thing. That is uh, separate existence, se- se- separate being. Self-nature, empty of a self-nature. Svabhava. Because a flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe with the whole cosmos. If you remove the non-flower elements from her, she vanishes. She cannot be, she can only interbe. Therefore, she is full of everything, but she is empty of a separate existence. The same thing is true with a person. If you remove uh, father, mother, and other elements like uh, minerals, vegetables, animals, there is no man left. Man is made only of non-man elements. So man is there, not as a separate existence, as a separate self, but as a manifestation made it possible, made possible because the whole cosmos have come together and help um, him, help her to manifest as a wonder of life. So the first thing we learn that uh, emptiness is not nothingness, is not non-being. This glass is empty. But empty of what? Empty of, of tea. But she is full of, of air. So empty is always empty of something. In order for the glass to be empty or to be full, the glass has to be there. So emptiness is not something negative. It is the wisdom. When we look into the son or the daughter, we see the father, we see uh, the mother, we see the ancestors. If we remove father from son, from daughter, son and daughter cannot continue. If we remove mother and sisters, they cannot continue. So son and father have no, uh, no separate existence. Son is empty of son and father is empty of father. Father and son, they inter are. If there is no father, there is no son. If there is no son, there is no father. So father and son manifest at the same time, like the left and the right. 
intervene. And that those uh, who are so angry at their father and say, I do not want to have anything to do with that person. Nonsense, because uh, you cannot take your father out of you. You are the continuation of your father. You are your father. You are empty of a separate self. You are made of non-you elements only. And among the non-you elements, there is the element father in it. So if you meditate on emptiness, you see the interconnection, the interbeing between you and father, and you can liberate yourself from the anger. Because you are your father. You carry your father everywhere you go. You carry all your ancestors everywhere you go. You are not a, a person, a self. You are a lineage. And when you see like that, you see that you are full of the cosmos, but you are empty of a separate uh, self. And this is a very deep teaching. It has the power to liberate you. It removes all kind of discrimination and makes you free. Second concentration is uh, signlessness. <coughs> Yesterday, a lady told us that she lost her daughter and she she suffered. She suffered because she is used to, to perceive her daughter in that form, in that sign. If she has the eyes of signlessness, she will see her, her daughter in her new form and she will not cry anymore. Like uh, when you fall in love with a cloud, and if the cloud disappear in the sky, you may suffer, you may cry. But if you have the eyes of uh, signlessness, you can recognize your beloved cloud in the rain. The rain is calling you, darling, darling, I'm here. Why do you cry? You don't recognize me? I have a new form. I enjoy being the rain. So signlessness is that you look deeply and you are free from the appearance. Because uh, the nature of everything is uh, no birth and no death. Nothing is born, nothing dies. And you touch the nature of no birth and no death. And you are free from the notion of being and non-being, signlessness. So if you have a father, uh, a daughter that just passed away. 
you might like to cry, but please breathe in and out and see that it is impossible for your father or your daughter to die. And if you look deeply, you still see your father in you and in many other forms. And you can still talk to your father. You suffer because uh, you are caught in an old image. But your father is more than that image, that sign, signlessness. It's like uh, H2O. H2O can be recognized as eyes, as mist, as cloud, as water. So your daughter cannot die. Your father cannot die. You can still talk to him, talk to her, in you and around you. And your father, your daughter may be very beautiful, very young now. And uh, that is the kind of wisdom, that kind of insight that can liberate us from our grief and despair. And the third uh, concentration practice is uh, aimlessness. Very strange. Apranihita. Apranihita is the Sanskrit uh, word. It means you do not put anything, an object in front of you and run after that. Whether that is a fame, a profit, diploma, uh, power, or anything. You do not put uh, even uh, enlightenment, uh, nirvana, kingdom of God in front of you and run after. Because everything is already there in the present moment, in you. Like a wave. She should not go and search for water. A wave may suffer a lot. Because of the notion of going up, going down, to be there, not to be there, beginning and ending, more or less beautiful than the other wave. But when she, the moment when she realizes she's water, she loses all these kind of notions. And she enjoys going up, she enjoys going down. We do not have to go and look for the kingdom of God, to go and look for nirvana. Because we are, the kingdom of God is, is us, is in us, and we are the kingdom of God. Nirvana is the nature of no birth and no death. And that is the nature of the cloud. That is the nature of our daughter. That is the nature of our father. And therefore, we don't have to go and look for nirvana. There is no way to nirvana. Nirvana is the way. It means that every, every, every step you must 
be able to touch Nirvana. And someone who is enlightened, she can touch the nature of no birth and no death with every breath, with every step. You are already what you want to become. You don't need to run anymore. And the moment when you stop running, happiness becomes possible right away. That is the teaching of the Buddha, aimlessness. And these are called the three doors of liberation. If you are a victim of suffering, one of the, these three doors will help you to get out. liberation. There is a, there was a gentleman whose name is Anata Penika in the time of Buddha. He was a businessman. He made uh, acquaintance with the Buddha in a business trip, the kingdom of, uh, of Rajagraha. And uh, he visited the Buddha in the bamboo grove and became his disciple invite the Buddha to come to his country and teach. His country is uh, uh, on the other side of the Ganga River, the, 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 the city, uh, the, the country of Shravasti. So uh, because of that invitation, the Buddha went to Shravasti and set up a a practice center, and that gentleman had bought a very beautiful park to offer to the Buddha as a practice center. And he came every week for the Dhamma talk and a day of mindfulness. He was a very happy businessman. One time he got uh, uh, bankrupt. He lost his business, but because he so, was so kind, had so many good friends, he took care of the poor, uh, destitute people, that is why many friends came and helped him to rebuild uh, a business. And one day the Buddha learned that uh, Anatta Pinika was dying. He visited uh, his disciple, and after that, ask his senior disciple, the Venerable Shariputra, to take care of this lay person and his family. It is this person who brought a group, a large group of businessmen, to the Jeta Grove and visit the Buddha. And that day, the Buddha 
uh, taught the businessman about the capacity to live happily in the present moment. In that discourse, the Buddha used uh, the expression living happily in the present moment five times. Because businessmen tend to think too much about the success in the future and sacrifice his uh, present, do not have the time at uh, enough time to take care of themselves and their families. So one day the Venerable Shariputra learned that Anatta Pedika was dying. So he invited his younger brother in the Dharma, the Venerable Ananda, to come with him and help the lay person to die peacefully. And when he arrived, Anatta Pedika was so weak, he could not sit up. And the Venerable said, Dear friend, uh, please, uh, Lie down again. We will bring a few shares close to you and we will talk to you. And the first question Ashariputra asked is that, is, dear friend, how do you feel in your body? Is the pain in your body increasing or decreasing? And Anatapinika said, Dear Venerable, it does not seem that the pain in my body is decreasing. It is increasing all the time. I suffer a lot. Terminal illness. Shariputra said, let, in that way, let us practice um, the practice of uh, the three recollections, mindfulness. Mindfulness of the Buddha, mindfulness of the Dharma, mindfulness of the Sangha. Shariputra is one, was one of the most intelligent monks. He knew that, uh, he knew the seed of happiness in that lay person. Because that person has spent a lot of time and, and got a lot of pleasure serving the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. So the practice of recollection of the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha is to water the seed of happiness. So what happens is that after a few minutes of the practice, the lay person begins to smile because the seeds of happiness had been watered. If you are someone like a nurse, like a doctor, if you are to a common eye, a dying person. You might like to do like him. Recognize the seed of happiness in that person and water that. And you can restore the balance and you can help the other person to suffer less. And after that, uh, they contemplate, uh, they gave a Shariputra gave a guided meditation on emptiness, on signlessness. Breathing in, I know, I see, I recognize the element of water in me. Breathing out, I recognize the element of uh, earth, soil in me. I recognize uh, 
ได้อะไรมันฮิตเองนี่ I recognize ได้อะไรมันว่าเองนี่ Breathe now I recognize these elements out of me I am made of these four elements Breathing in I know this body is not me I'm much more than this body I, have, I am the good things I have done in my life I will continue with my action Breathing in I know I have come nowhere from nowhere When conditions are sufficient, I manifest as a body, as um, feelings, conceptions, perceptions. And when conditions are not no longer sufficient, I stop this manifestation and manifest uh, otherwise, in other in other forms. My nature is nature of no coming, no going. I let go of the notion of being and non-being, coming and going. And when they come to death, the lay person begins to cry. Ananda was surprised. Ananda, younger than Shariputra, did not understand. Dear friend, why do you cry? Do you regret something? Are you still regretting something? No, no, Venerable Ananda, I don't regret anything. Or maybe you did not succeed in the practice. No, I succeeded very well in the practice. Why are you dying, are crying? Dear Venerable Ananda, I cry because I'm so moved. I have served the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha more than 30 years, but I have never heard and practiced such a wonderful teaching of no birth and no death, no coming, no going, no being, and no knowing. I'm free now. I'm not afraid. Ananda said, Dear friend, you don't know, but this practice, this teaching, we monastics, we receive almost every day. And this is the last word spoken by Anatta Vedika. Venerable Ananda, please go home and tell the Lord, our teacher, that there are many lay people who are so busy, who, cannot, who do not have the time to receive and practice this teaching. But still there are many of us who have the capacity to receive and to put into the practice the practice of this wonderful teaching. So please uh, tell the Lord to dispense this teaching also to us lay people. And uh, uh, Ananda said, yes, I will, I will do it. I will go home and tell our teacher. And with that, uh, Anatta Pinika uh, passed away very peacefully with a smile on his lips. And this uh, story is recorded in a sutta called uh, Teaching Given to the Dying Person. And it is available in the Plumlish uh, um, Shanty book. 
you might like to study it again and uh, make it into a, a object of uh, meditation. We know that uh, in order to continue our practice, to keep our practice alive, we have to take refuge in the Sangha. If there is no Sangha where you live, then you have to be my Sangha. After the retreat, when you go home to your city, look around and recognize the non-Sangha elements around you <laughs> and make it into a Sangha. With a Sangha, you can offer refuge to many people and you can keep your practice along for a long time. That's what I recommend. And uh, remember, when you go to, from your parking lot to the place where you work, do like a thai. Enjoy every step, walking meditation. That is the best way to connect with Thai and the Sangha. You don't need a telephone. You don't need send, to send an email. If you enjoy every step, every day, you are in deep connection with Thai and the Sangha. And you can get uh, the energy of Thai when you need it. So, uh, um, happy continuation for everyone. And uh, let us uh, continue uh, the practice of watering the good seeds in us and in our beloved one, so that we continue to uh, to make the tree of happiness grow. Let us invite the children. And we would like to invite all the OI members and the monastery to come. And uh, we shall sing together a song called No Coming, No Going. <laughs> <laughs>